Seven. Seven days since the start of budget season, which commenced this year with the New York City preliminary budget released on January 16th. Budget season usually starts with the release of the New York State executive budget, which came out just yesterday. For our new listeners, the state fiscal year begins on April 1st, so state leaders aim to wrap up budget negotiations by the end of March. The city fiscal year begins on July 1st, and the city executive budget released in April or May accounts for changes made in the enacted state budget. This year, the state budget may have a significant impact on the city's finances. With the state facing a large budget gap, the governor is proposing to cut local aid, but more significantly for New York City, to reorganize the school aid formulas and to restructure the local obligation with respect to Medicaid funding. Here to give us an early take on the state budget and break down the city budget is Andrew Ryan, CBC president. Welcome to 2020 What's the Data Point and 2021 Budget Season. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. As Maria said so well, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020 and our initial budget season episode. There's a lot to unpack. Andrew is back with us. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Peter? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> We're here at the new CBC offices yes. in our new studio, so please, happy to be here. Please update all your contact information as per the email blast that went out at the beginning of the year. Um, we've got some bright blue chairs in this space, which makes it a lot more fun. And as always, we thank our producers, Kevin and Javon, for their work on What's the Data Point. They don't get enough shout outs on the podcast, but we thank them. And to start a new year, we'll have to do that more often. Yes. So budget season has begun. Uh, I won't take any time to remind people to listen to our previous episodes, Mm -hmm. except this quick moment. If you've missed anything, you can find all the archives wherever you get your podcasts at What's the Data Point or on the CBC or Gotham Gazette websites, and we will get right to it. So let's start with the state budget, the most recent news as we speak here today, and then we'll go back to the city budget. Um, So Andrew, overall characterization, takeaway of the executive budget that Governor Cuomo presented? I would say the characterization is that the budget was serious and mysterious. Uh It was serious in that the governor took the state's problem seriously. They have a huge budget gap, $4 billion this year, $7 billion next year, $29 billion over four years. And the governor presented a plan um, with limited fiscal gimmicks and that kind of shenanigans, but really to address and tackle that budget gap. It's mysterious because there are still some unknowns. There are the known unknowns, meaning how we're going to restructure Medicaid, and we're going to learn that in the next couple of months. And then there are the unknowns unknowns, which is delving into these budget books released at 1 o'clock, released at 9 p.m., released at near near midnight with some stuff that's always hard to find and seemingly more stuff that's even newerly hard to find. That's a word, newerly. <laughs> and so it's mysterious in that way. and We still need to unpack it. Right. That's a very good point. As Maria said in the intro, this is an initial assessment of what we've seen from the mayor and the governor, especially because the governor's budget is so new. But we wanted to get this conversation in today with some initial reactions, but both CBC, Gotham Gazette, many others will be unpacking what's especially in the governor's budget. As you said, those documents were posted well after the governor's speech. So there's a lot to to dig into there. And then 
As you said, there's also things that the governor's proposing to close this budget gap and to also change things like the education aid formula that we still need to see all the details on. We There's a new Medicaid redesign team being assembled that's going to bring back proposals to save two plus billion dollars. So there's a lot of question marks here. Say more about the challenges and this and this budget gap. Um, how how is he how is he proposing to close it? And we have to you know keep in mind as much as the executive budget often determines a lot of what the adopted state budget looks like. This is the governor's plan proposal. You know, there's a lot to to come. Yes, there's a long road ahead. First, how we got here, which is in part of the story of Medicaid spending being much higher than was budgeted. In fact, the $4 billion current year gap, and current year, remember, is only two and a half months to go. Um, The $4 billion current year gap is because we blew the Medicaid budget and we delayed a payment last year to kind of paper over some of that. And so that leaves us with a gap. In fact, 100% of this year's gap is because of Medicaid overspending, 43% of next year's gap. And over four years, 50% of the gap is because of overspending Medicaid. So that's part of how to look at this. And so the gaps are kind of twice as big as we've managed before. The first half, people say, oh, you always take care of that. True and not true, but the second half is much harder. So the governor came in with a plan focused in part on Medicaid. Very important part of the plan. As I said, mysterious. $2.5 billion is a reenactment, a reinvigoration of the Medicaid redesign team that will, before the budget is adopted, come up with a plan to save $2.5 billion this year and grows a little in the, in the out years. He's given them the right charge. Don't affect locals negatively. Don't affect the system and, and um, recipients negatively. How they meet that challenge is very hard. The fact that it's coming now and not, frankly, a year ago when we started recognizing this problem is a challenge, but better late than never. It's the right thing to do. Let's get it done and hopefully get it done early enough in the budget process so that it can see the light of day and isn't a late night deal that no one knows about until after. One thing I did wonder is, you know, you put out the $2.5 billion charge for them. It's sort of like, is that number really based on any sense that that's about the amount that, you know, is not so challenging to find? Or is it just like, well, here's the budget gap we have, so let's find $2.5 billion from Medicaid? That's what it looks like to me. Here's what's left after I come up with extra revenues from better than accepted tax receipts. Here's what we've got after cuts to local government. And here, so here's the gap that's left to fill. And I think the other thing that's important to mention here is that the, the gaps look closed, but they assume that the state continues a payment delay in Medicaid, which you know, on a real accounting basis, to not use jargon, it's just not true. The budget is still, you know, has a gap because of this payment delay. Now, the other part of the Medicaid story is, you know, the MRT is an important one. It is a change to uh, what had been a very significant accomplishment, I'd say, under the Cuomo administration to freeze the growth in Medicaid costs for local governments, right? So that was done early on, and it's really important because the way New York has historically funded Medicaid is kind of silly. It's one of the only states where local governments have a significant share of this program, which gives healthcare access to to, um, the poor and disadvantaged, right? Everywhere else in the country, it's sort of 50-50 federal state. In New York, we have pushed those costs onto the local government and the Cuomo administration after a previous sort of cap on the growth said, okay, we're freezing it here. Now he's saying, well, but wait a second. 
So why don't you explain what the change proposed in this budget is? And, and you're right. It's one of the signature achievements of this administration, correcting um, New York's um, poor funding of Medicaid, making people who live near poor people pay higher taxes. That doesn't make any sense. No one else does it that way. And this governor reversed that, and that was a wonderful achievement. Now he's saying, oh, no, we're still going to have a cap, but locals need skin in the game. If you're spending increases, Medicaid spending increases over 3%, you have to fund that difference. Now, maybe that sounds okay to people to have skin in the game, and, and there might be some logic. And frankly, working together, the state and locals, there is real money that they can save together. But locals have limited control over the Medicaid okay, program. Okay, good. Yeah, I was going to ask It is a you. state policy, mm -hmm. federal policy-driven program. They do administration, they, they, and there's some different programs that they have some eligibility, some kind of leverage. But Medicaid spending has been growing seven ten percent over the last couple of years that is a far cry from the three percent and to expect the locals with their limited control to be able to do that um is probably unrealistic meaning that even though he's not counting on this for budget savings and gap closing for the state budget it puts the locals at risk now the devil's in the details we're still exploring this but the locals especially new york city is at significant risk for spending more because Keep it, they have limited control of, over Medicaid spending, and the chance that it goes above 3% is not low. Is this in some way incentivizing localities to discourage people from signing up for Medicaid? It, it could do that. I mean, I don't think that the governor, the governor is very proud of the fact that one out of three New Yorkers is on Medicaid. Oh. He's very proud of the fact that we brought down our uninsurance rate in the state to um, 5%. Our, our 5%. So he hasn't been explicit mm -hmm. about that. Right. But when you're a local government and you're facing a problem and, and it's your budget at risk, you might have to resort to, to such activities. And that's not the intention. And that would be a result that would be um, problematic. Yeah. And, you know, it is a significant expense for local governments, for counties, particularly in New York City, where, you know, part of how the city has been able to get on a firmer footing fiscally has been the fact that Medicaid costs have been frozen in the last few years and before that were capped. Because prior to that, it was a huge expense in the budget and one that would grow significantly annually. So part of the city's improvement has been, OK, this cost, which was unfairly passed down to local governments, has been essentially frozen and will over time become a smaller share of the budget. To reverse that will have a huge impact on local governments. So I want to ask about maybe, well, I, I would say the second big piece of both how the governor is trying to rein in spending and also it's the second big piece of the state budget, which is education funding. But let me zoom out for one quick sec first. The Medicaid and the deficit, you know, were such big points of conversation coming into this. Everybody wanted to see, okay, how is he going to close these gaps? Just want to mention for everybody that the, you know, the plan the governor is putting forward for next fiscal year is about $178 billion in total spending. That's the proposal. About $106 billion is in state funds, um, roughly a 2% uh, projected increase as he tries to keep it around there, although we can always, as CBC often does, look at the mechanisms to, to get to that number and if he's really being true about the percentage growth in state operating spending. Um, and so the, the two big chunks of the state budget always are Medicaid and education funding. So on education funding, he's proposing a as he often does, a more limited increase in funding than advocates and the Board of Regents are asking for and such. But he's also talking about a pretty significant change to how education funding is done. And I think 
music to your ears, maybe? The it- CBC has <laughs> always made the point that we should focus our education aid where it is needed. And in fact, our analysis has shown in prior years that when the states increased education aid last year, $1.1 billion, it actually only needed $300 million to ensure that every district had enough funding to provide what the state um, what the state constitution guarantees, which is a sound basic education. So last year, we could have saved $800 million had we limited our increases to just that. What the governor did this year is propose an increase of around $800 million, which frankly is around $300 million less than was in the financial plan, so it provides him gap closing. Furthermore, he's saying more of that education aid should be targeted to those at-need districts. So he's doing the right thing. He's also talking about reimbursement aids and having folding them in so those are more need-based as well. So he's really in the right direction. It provides him budget savings. If, frankly, he could do more, if he needs more, there are wealthy districts who who could self-fund a sound basic education. The fact that they're receiving state aid is is a burden on the taxpayers and a benefit to obviously those districts, but they do not need that to provide a sound basic education. So when budget savings are needed, there is even more to be had. However, the devil in the details, how it will affect New York City and other specific localities still has to be sussed out in the school aid runs, the mystical school aid runs. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's also often making this distinction about districts and then also schools within districts and so he seems to be very caught up with making sure that the state funding that does go out the door is going to high needs schools within districts where sometimes even within a you know a more high needs district or a lower needs district you have such disparities within districts so he really wants to shake up the formulas involved here the big question, of course, is what exactly does it look like and will the legislature bite, you know, where you have lots of, you know, Long Island stakes at, at play that often come into this discussion in terms of school aid and other suburbs, um, where, as you said, they in many cases, they could fund a sound basic education without additional state money. We, we should be clear that your description is right. We should be clear that the disparity between districts is much, much more than this disparity within districts. Okay. We also need to consider that the disparity within districts sometimes is about salary disparities on teachers. And those are subtle conversations to figure out um, with a school with higher salary teachers, do they get fewer teachers per student? That is a very complicated, often a local decision. So he's right to consider it. Equalization is important, even within districts, but we have to both look at the proposal and understand where the real big disparity lies. I think the one exception to that might be New York City, where you do have one school district that is, of course, massive and has a wide range. And, you know, it's unclear how that would affect the city and what it does, because the city has its own kind of formula where it tries to direct the money to to students who um, who need the most. But um, the other part of this that is significant, you know, we should say, I think, as a matter of context, that state aid for school districts is progressive overall. Right. Overall, it is progressive and most of it does go to high need districts. Um, on the other hand, the parts of it that go to the wealthy districts, I mean, you're still talking about billions of dollars. Right. And if those, you know, those dollars could be better targeted to the districts in need, 
um, you'd be doing better all and getting a better effect for state funds. The other part of this that he's restructuring is the part that is not necessarily needs-based. It's called these expense-based aids, um, which our colleague David Friedfeld has written about extensively, and they're basically reimbursing districts for their costs. And of course, the wealthy districts who are able to you know, put up these costs and uh, make these purchases on their own avail themselves on those, of those aids to a greater extent than the poorer districts. So the governor is flagging this. He's right to do it, and it's time to sort of to reexamine and restructure those aid formulas. What else do we want to tell? Yeah, go ahead. One other thing about the state budget. Well, a good economy blesses us all. Mm. And we should um, remember that a large portion of the way the governor closed his budget gap, which is reasonable, is reestimating the revenues. In fact, we're $1.3 billion higher in the current year than we had expected. Um, he adds about $2 billion in, the, in each of the out years. So that, that really, when you have a $7 billion problem and $2 billion is revenues, $2.5 billion next year is Medicaid redesign team. There's also a little under a billion that's current year Medicaid savings and what that looks like next year, and that's a little mysterious. And then, You're really, yeah, then there's a lot of that local aid, including mm-hmm. the education aid, another $1.8 billion. There's still things we need to figure out on what's happening in this budget, but that's how we approached it. And on this idea, go ahead, okay. that he's, he said, you know, there's no gimmicks. He said there's no new fees. Those seem, I mean, the gimmicks, maybe we need a little more time. We so have to, here's we have to, what we know and what we don't yeah. know. That, you know, there are some sweeps of funds. He wants to use $200 million of settlement funds. And these are one shots. These are taking money that could be used for other things and shouldn't be used for recurring, you know, operating budgets. There's some of that in here. Um, you know, certainly not significant. And usually those grow the worse the budget problem is. And we see a huge budget problem without those growing. And in fact, those, you know, looking better at first blush, better than before, which is certainly a, a welcome change. On the other hand, as Maria said before, last year, they delayed $1.7 billion Medicaid payment. And frankly, we and everyone else missed it at the time. I'm sure the recipients that got their payment three days late didn't miss it, but we missed it at the time and the fiscal implication. They're planning to do that continuously. And we need to really get into this budget because there might be other things in there. And so as CBC always looks into those, calls them out, adjust the spending increase, as you mentioned before, to see what it really is. We're going to take a step back because once bitten, twice shy. We want to make sure we know what's in the budget. And before we move to the city budget, I'll also just note, you know, some of the governors, for those that didn't follow along closely, some of the governors, you know, executive budget proposal, as it often does, included, you know, some sort of rehashing of his state of the state speech. Sometimes he combines those two speeches. He didn't this year. So he talked about, for example, you know, this is the time to get marijuana legalization done. We tried last year. And, you know, significantly to tie it into this important budget discussion, you know, he's saying we got to get it done in the budget because that's the best time to make some of these compromises. And, you know, he said this last year that like a lot of the tricky stuff can really, we can use that deadline. And I, I think he's even said this, but it's the general practice of you know, you pack a lot of stuff into the budget, there's less political risk, basically, right, for, for legislators. And, you know, he said, you can blame me because it's it's the budget. And that's what happened with the bail laws, which he, during his speech on the budget, said are a work in progress, an ongoing process. So marijuana legalization, e-bikes, e-scooters, a bunch of other policy priorities that don't necessarily have immediate fiscal impacts, although he on marijuana legalization, you know, it seems like since that discussion has been pushed off, the financial, the fiscal implications of that are not being seen as so important as, you know, they were discussed 
to the governor right. for now. Right. Well, you right. know, right. but I, I will say the governor was right last year when he proposed it and, and said that you wouldn't really see big revenues for the next couple of years. He replicated his, his intelligence this year in that, yes, Albany has a practice of binding up a lot in the budget. Remember, this year we'll have a slightly shortened legislative session because of the electoral mm-hmm. cycle. And that also means that we might see more in the budget. One more quick thing. Economic development was one of the areas that you at CBC have been encouraging, you know, the state to take a closer look at, examine when it comes to both just effectiveness, but also budget gaps. Any news we know yet from how the governor did or didn't adjust his budget on the economic development front? There is some language about REDCs, which we've been very vocal on, some language on the film tax credit. Um, We need to look into those more. We would like to see um, the film tax credit both reduced and the REDCs improved. Um, We're not sure what the proposals are in those directions yet. So there's still a lot for us to unpack. The bills that Andrew said came out last night, so our staff is pouring through the details now, and we'll have more to say in the days to come. Um, So mysterious and a lot here, both on the policy and the fiscal side. City budget, not so much. A little boring. This was the the hardest to understand state budget and the easiest to understand (laughs) city budget. It's really the juxtaposition. So the mayor decided, you know, he has a statutory deadline. And when asked why he released early, he said, well, I have a statutory deadline, irrespective of the fact that in prior years, you know, that deadline is passed, you know, legally allowed to be passed and and passed and waits for the state budget. I think this year the mayor took a cautious approach, knowing that the state had a huge problem, knowing that their solutions would affect local governments. He got out ahead of that with a, a really cautious budget, holding the line on spending, Real difference from before. No new big programs. Um, we think he sh- should have done even more big savings programs, putting more money in reserves. But there is a long road between now and the adopted budget, right. which usually increases a lot of spending. So right, I was going to say, don't you know? He, he's taking a cautious initial approach, and I think a lot of it will depend on what the state budget winds up giving the city. Mm-hmm. Right? Mayor De Blasio outlined a ninety-five point three billion dollar preliminary budget. Uh, increasing by about 2.5 billion or just under 3% from the current fiscal year. Um, He will be going to Albany for budget testimony on the governor's executive budget. I believe it's February 10th. So that's always an interesting day where the mayor gives his formal take on what the governor is proposing and then also pitches to legislators uh, his priority. That'll be a joint legislative budget hearing. Um, So not not much else to discuss there. I mean, what what you know, the, the idea that he didn't really do much on spending, he didn't really do that much on savings. It's sort of a wait and see budget. Status quo. I mean, it's it's sort of the same budget we've seen. Spending is growing. Sure, it's not growing that much in 21, but we still haven't seen the council leave its imprint. And the pattern in the last few years has been that actually the council does not wait anymore for adoption to start pushing its priorities. Um, they have been very affected at getting the mayor to adopt some of those priorities in the executive budget and then adding more later um, at the adopted budget when they negotiate in, in the final days. Um, so spending, uh, you know, semi-controlled for now, but we'll, we'll wait and see what's, um, what's coming up. The other thing I'd say is it's the same kind of pattern in terms of increasing headcount and doing very, very little on these savings programs. I mean, 
we had a CSP, then it became a PEG. The PEG was sort of supposed to be more focused on that. It wasn't. You know, these plans all look the same and do very little to improve the efficiency of government. We've talked about this on this podcast right. at yeah. length, but I just want to share the kind of figure on it, which is always striking to me that efficiencies are essentially 0.6% of city-funded saving. And he was so, asked about this. Yes. I mean, it's it's completely underwhelming. It, it is underwhelming. If, if you do a 1%, you get $700 million. They could 1% productivity increase, 700 million. You could put, imagine you do that every year and what you could put into the city rainy day reserves. Remember, the voters voted overwhelmingly to have a rainy day fund. We don't have one yet because of state law. But the spirit of that, he, he could certainly enact now. And as Maria said, again, a, a small savings program, very little, if any, you know, productivity. And the mayor talked about all they've done since the last November plan and how hard it is. Frankly, the city has done more historically on savings programs and sometimes on productivity, and he should be doing more. I mean, really, part of the story on these two budgets that we have to remember here is that the economy is still good, not just because it brings in revenue to the state, and, and we talked about that, but we are sitting here in the 10th year of recovery with a state budget with almost historically large gaps, a city budget that is very large, almost 30,000 more staff, full-time equivalent staff than we had at the beginning of this administration with reserves that are paltry compared to what a, re what a recession would drive in revenue losses. We are in the good times. We have a city problem and a state problem. Mm -hmm. When we at Gotham Gazette published an article at the beginning of this year about the sort of challenges ahead for de Blasio, Maria, you said something which I wanted to quickly find because it applies now to this budget where you said, you know, we're six years into an administration and there hasn't ever really been a big push to re-examine how government is doing and make sure it's the most efficient, effective way possible. And that's what you just got at there. But, you know, I thought that was so well said by you that I'll quote it back to you, you know, that that a comprehensive sort of scrub of city government hasn't happened. And in large part, the mayor's been able to get away with it because, as you just said, Andrew, the, the times have been so good. But it doesn't mean that he's necessarily setting the city up structurally for being able to handle what's going to come its way. But it looks more and more like he won't be around to have to deal with that. Yeah, stand by my comment. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's remember we had 12 years of a prior administration and, you know, we don't really do politics at CBC, but I think it's no secret that ideologically the mayor had, the mayor de Blasio had a bit of a different bent for Mayor Bloomberg and he was elected and that's completely fine. But, you know, to me that says, okay, we need to do things a little differently and that trickles down to how you run and organize and structure government and its programs. And that's never really happened. It's just added. It's always add, 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 add. New programs come with new headcount, and it's just um, layered and integrated into the system we have. Um, and so, you know, it's very worrisome about what will happen once there is a recession and the revenue is not there to support it. Now, the other thing I'll say is part of what's facilitated this is because the property tax, which is the tax the city controls, continues to grow. And there is no sense that, you know, some of that money should be or more of that money should be saved to counterbalance um, a revenue decline in a recession, or that some of that should be returned back to taxpayers. So I'm just putting that out there. Well, property tax reform, we're waiting and waiting and waiting said for the a, end of the month. <laughs> we're I take him at his word. I actually away. Will, will be bold enough to say, I believe that we will see it by the end of the month. And frankly, 
having a property, a comprehensive property tax reform discussion in Albany would be a welcome thing to the CBC. Right, and we'll see if if that conversation happens uh, happens this year or or when it happens. Um, Anything else on the city budget? We're just going to wait and see. The mayor's got his state of the city coming up, which may unveil some proposals that would need funding behind them. And then he's got his Albany testimony. State legislative budget hearings are going to get going. City council preliminary budget hearings will get going. So we'll have a lot more to unpack. It's a busy time in budget land. Very good. Well, we'll be bringing you more on city and state budgets and much more. Thanks for listening. Bye.